I'm James Bryan Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 29. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what I call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to learn how to set their minds on things above, which is where the name of the podcast comes from, Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, set your minds on things above. Greg Boyd says Mind Discipleship is the most important discipleship, and that's why we need a steady intake of thoughts from above, because if we fill our minds with thoughts from above, our destiny will be a life of love, hope, and faith. Today's thought from above is this, identity before behavior. The world that we live in defines our identity on the basis of external things, things like how we look physically, who we know relationally, what we make financially, and most of all, what we do, our actions, our accomplishments. More specifically, our identity is determined by our behavior. That is how this world works. From our earliest moments of life, we discover that what we do is being judged by other people. We're affirmed or rejected by others because of our behavior. We do something wrong, for example, and as a child, we see a frown on our parents' face. Message sent. I am what I do. If I do something well, I might see my parents smile. I might get affirmed. I might even get rewarded. Now, this is not because parents are bad. Parents are Well, parenting, and that means trying to shape us into good, perhaps even successful people. And judging, punishing, and rewarding behavior is how parents are taught to do it. That's what they think they should be doing. My own father was a good and loving man, and a man I dearly love, God rest his soul. When I was growing up, he was pretty hard on me. He he was loving, and he paid close attention to me, which is loving. He was in no way a neglectful father. But he watched me closely, and he never failed to point out my flaws, especially in the area of athletics. I was actually a pretty good athlete growing up, and basketball was probably my best sport. One weekend in high school, I scored 51 points over two games. I led the league in individual scoring that week. But in the second game, I missed four free throws, which was uncommon for me. I was an 80% free throw shooter, meaning if I had five shots, I made four of them. But that night, I made only one, and I missed four. But hey, remember, I scored 26 points that night. When I got home later that Saturday night, my dad was up waiting for me, as he often did. I expected a big pat on the back. Well, I didn't get that. All he said to me was, do you know why you missed those free throws? No, I answered. Your stance was off, he said. I walked away pretty angry. I'd played exceptionally, but there was no mention of that. The message I got from his behavior was, you aren't good enough. Try harder. Do better. As I got older, my father became kinder. He was a much different person toward me with each passing decade. And when my father was in the last two years of his life, he actually lived with our family. One evening, he and I were having a deep discussion about life. And I said, hey, Dad, why were you so hard on me when I was growing up? He said, well, I knew you're special. And I thought it was my job to make you the best athlete you could be. I thought it was my job to point out your mistakes. I didn't tell you how good you were. You didn't need that. That was obvious. If I could find the flaws, he said, 
then we could fix them and you could even be better. I looked at him for a moment, kind of trying to let that sink in. And as I looked back at my dad, he had a tear in his eyes. But I was wrong, he went on. You needed more affirmation. And I didn't provide enough of that. And I'm sorry. It was a touching moment. And from that moment, from that experience, I have learned many things. One, I discovered how much my father actually loved me. Years later, I shared this story with a friend, and his, his immediate reaction was, wow, your dad really cared about you. He was watching you so closely that he noticed your stance. And that had actually never occurred to me, but I see it now. I also learned that unless we're directly affirmed, affirmed for who we are, not what we do, we cannot withstand criticism, no matter how well-intended. If we had a do-over, how cool would it have been if our interaction when I got home after that game went something like this? I walk into the living room, proudly wearing my letter jacket. Dad's beaming. He says, what a wonderful weekend, pal. He always called me pal when he was being endearing. That was incredible. I bet you led the league in scoring this weekend. I'll cut the box scores out of the paper tomorrow. Amazing. Let's have a steak to celebrate. I say thanks. He gives me a hug. And as I walk away, he says to me, and maybe this week we can check your stance on your free throws. And he says it with a smile and a wink. That would have been great. That isn't what happened. But you know what? We all need affirmation. Affirmation for who we are and then, you know, support for the things that we do and critique when we need it. That's one of the things I love about life in Christ. In Christ, our identity always comes before our behavior and therefore guides our behavior. For example, in Colossians 3, in which this podcast finds its very name, Paul spends four verses telling the Colossian Christians who they are in Christ. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. There's our identity. So he continues, set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And listen for it. Here comes another identity affirmation. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. You and I are hidden with Christ in God. That's our identity, meaning safe. It can't be altered or marred by what we do. In Christ is my identity, first and foremost and always. And then, Christ who is my life, Jesus is my life. And when he appears, when he comes again, I will appear with him in glory. That means for Christ followers, we are all going to appear with him in glory. Not because of what we have done, but because of who we are. Hear that again. Because of who we are. Because of who we are. Now we come to verse 5. Put to death the sin that is within you. Once again, Paul urges us to behave in a certain way, not to determine our identity, but because of our identity. Since we've been raised with Christ, since we've died and risen with him, since our life is hidden with Christ in God, since Christ is our life, therefore, put away sin. Why? Because God's mad at our sin? No, because sin is actually unnatural to a Christ-inhabited person. Paul is unflinchingly consistent. Identity before behavior. Identity driving behavior. Never the reverse. Read Romans 6. Just read Romans 6 and you will see this so clearly. For heaven's sake, he begins his letter to the Corinthians by calling them saints, to the saints at Corinth, and then writes a letter that makes it clear that their behavior is far from saintly, because Paul knew 
identity before behavior. Identity shapes behavior. If you read the epistle to the Ephesians, this approach is seen clearly even in the way the epistle is written. The first three chapters, chapters 1 through 3, are all about our identity in Christ. Let me just share some verses. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now that was just in chapter 1. Chapter 2 does the same thing, and then it all ends with a great prayer in chapter 3. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that's how Ephesians chapter 3 ends. So three chapters on our identity in Christ and what Christ has done for us. Then we come to chapter 4, and Paul writes this, Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about identity. And when we come to chapter 4, he turns to behavior. Lead a life worthy of the calling. But not before establishing our identity. Three whole chapters on identity, followed by three chapters on behavior. Paul was brilliant. He knew the truth. May God bless you as you live into your true identity in Christ and live out your call accordingly. I hope you'll join me next week for episode 30, which will be a Things Above conversation with a returning guest, Brian Zond. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you'll get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, hey, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.